Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Larry, what's new with this episode? It's almost like you didn't even record it, man. We talked to Nina Freeman, and uh, I have to say you did an excellent job interviewing her for about the second half of the podcast, man. It really gets into good detail there. <laughs> yeah, Nina was a good sport. She, <laughs> We liked her enough that she recorded a second time. She even gave us some uh, some juicy tidbits on, you know, exploring sexuality in games uh, and more importantly, just identifying a niche for yourself and what you can really do to kind of own that space. And then also she gave some great piece of advice on just how cool it is to work with her studio. Who's like, yeah, sure. Go and make games on the side and make money for it. Just still come to us and make great stuff here. So any game developers or game designers who are interested in doing some moonlighting for themselves, you know, it's, it's completely possible. And, you know, Nina's a shining example. So you can hear more about those details in the podcast as well. All right, Larry, let's just get right into this week's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is a very special episode of the Game Dev Unchained podcast because... I'm hosting it. This is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team, the number one podcast for game development news, stories, lifestyle of game developers, and the other half of the podcasting team would like me to introduce him as the person who makes his very own Pog Slammers, Mr. Brandon Pham. Still looking for that second job. This is Brandon Pham. Welcome to this week's episode. Also welcoming our special guest this week, Nina Freeman. Hello. Hey, Nina, how's it going? Good. How are you guys? We are good. Thank you so much for joining us. So uh, this is the part of the podcast. We kind of asked about your background, your resume, (laughs) what got you into gaming, what are you doing now? What are your uh, future goals? Um, Yeah. So right now I work at a studio called Fulbright in Portland, Oregon. Um, I've been here, gosh, four years or something. Yeah, never heard Maybe. of that. Is, that. is that how long I've been here? I'm like, I don't even know how long I've been here. Uh, in any case, I'm a, le- or I, I'm a level designer at Fulbright, um, and I worked as a level designer on Tacoma, uh, and that was the, the game I came to Fulbright to work on, and I am still with them. Um, nice. And we released uh, Tacoma fairly recently. The PS4 version just came out, uh, so that's exciting. I guess the most recent, recent thing i did at work was uh doing commentary mode for the ps4 or uh, for all versions of tacoma and it came out sort of mm-hmm. uh when the ps4 version came out so that was fun um and yeah i guess in general i do like my own side projects a lot too and i focus mostly on narrative games often very small scoped style vignette games and uh that's that's kind of what the majority of my work is. Uh, and even at Fulbright, our games are, are narrative driven. So that I guess is like sort of my passion. Um, right now I'm doing a little bit of level design work um, on Underworld Ascendant, which is a game being made at other side, um, which is a lovely studio. They have uh, a place in Concord where that's being worked on. And that's like a, an immersive sim 
almost like a spiritual successor to Ultima Underworld. Um, so that's been really fun to work on, and that's kind of what I've been up to recently. Awesome. So yeah. we have two two resident designers here. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get into design? Did you yeah, please tell us about where it started? Yeah, uh, I started making games. I guess probably in like twenty thirteen. I think was like the first time I really made a game. Oh, nice. Um, and that was when I was living in New York. I had finished my undergrad degree in English literature fairly recently. I was working a job at the Department of Education. As a data analyst, I was kind of all over the place, not sure what I was going to do. And then I fell in with a group of game developers who I became, they were like just my friends. And I was hanging out with them. And a bunch of them were starting school at the NYU Game Center. And so we're like attending a lot of game jams and stuff. And I was at a weird point in my life. So I was just like, like kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I was like, well, maybe I'll try going to these game jams with my friends. Like they're inviting me and it sounds kind of fun. Um, and I went and started to like teach myself how to code at those game jams and participated in all that stuff with my friends. And that is kind of how it all started for me was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do next in life, trying to, you know, find something that I was really passionate about outside of my day job. Um, and I think like, yeah, a bunch of like the early flash games I worked on at those jams kind of took off on the internet and gained some traction, which, you know, I was kind of like, wow, people are really playing these. Oh my God, this is so <laughs> cool. Um, and that's kind of what inspired me to like keep up with it. Um, and I haven't looked back since. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's a great way to come up. Through, you yeah. Know, and like, flash. Uh, to be honest, like the inspiration for a lot of it too, like obviously it was my friends and going mm -hmm. with them to events, but this was around the time or was the time when like gone home came out and Kentucky route zero and cart life. And a lot of these like pretty now well-known narrative games in mm -hmm. within like the indie space. So it was really good timing for me. Cause I played that work and was like, wow, this is like really the kind of game I want to make too. So between my friends and being inspired by what was being released, like it was a really great time. I think for me to get into games, <laughs> I still have yet like a, uh, I've been in the industry for a while, but I still have like this foggy idea of how you guys, how designers <laughs> come, come up because you're, you're not Larry. I know I went to college together. Oh, cool. Even, What's cool? Even the classes he took was like eh, designing, right? It's like oh, eh, barely design, but like a lot of it's self-taught and it, I haven't really mm. have like a concrete idea of like, what is the pathway for becoming a designer? I mean, you went through game jams, you kind of learned through experience, which is probably the best way to learn these things. But, um, was it just from the game jams that initiated your interest and then you study on your own and you start background engineering games or how exactly did you get like a fuller mm. picture of design? Um, I guess I kind of just learned by doing for the most part. Uh, cause yeah, I started just going to all those game jams. I wasn't in school for it or anything at first. And I was like teaching myself how to code, how to like program, but as like sort of a means to an end to like be able to contribute to these projects and to be able to make my own stuff. Um, and so I really just like went hard on teaching myself programming and got really good at action script three so that I could like participate in the project. And, uh, and we, I guess my background before was in poetry. And so like 
I already had a lot of practice as a writer and like knew I like had a pretty well-defined writing style at that point Mm -hmm. from poetry, which was like drawing. I was already like doing vignette style poetry about personal experiences and other like ordinary life stuff. And that was kind of where I was coming from as a storyteller. So I guess I kind of combined my ability to actually put something on the screen with my ability to write. And I had friends who were willing to help me and we kind of just experimented and weren't really thinking like, I wasn't like, I'm a game designer. I was just like, I want to make a game. (laughs) And I think having that like as a starting point, like I was learning design at that point, but I wasn't really thinking about it that way until later when I like actually started to go to school and stuff. Cause I did grad school at NYU. Um, and yeah, so I think a lot of it for me was like very practically oriented in the beginning, uh, just like learning by making things. And uh, just a quick answer a question you threw at us. We went to the art Institute of orange County. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. That's and, cool. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is like, I actually respect the fact that you're like, Hey, you know, I'm just making stuff. And then later on, yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a game designer. I'm a little designer now. There's yeah. so many people who do the exact opposite. Like this mm-hmm. is my very first thing. I'm going to make a wow clone. Yeah. I'm a game designer. Like, Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I think it's like fine either way, but like a lot of, I think it was nice to come from like a organic, like, yeah not school oriented just like having fun and like partying and making stuff because i feel like you can get you can find some like different like things when you work in that kind of way as opposed to like being in a more structured school environment um so but it's like you know different learning styles work better for different people for me personally the more informal stuff was like really good Mm -hmm. well it's Speaking about the kind of like the uh, the landscape nowadays, if you were to do the same thing, like how mm-hmm. would you go about it for maybe the students out there who are mm-hmm. trying to navigate this for themselves? Yeah. Is, is it easier? Is it harder? Um, I would still say like it's good. It's obviously good to like go to college and stuff, but I don't really think it's required. And, you know, game school is really expensive. So I get when people can't do it. So like, if you can't afford it, don't feel like that's the end of your career. Like really learning by making things in the end is really what school forces you into doing anyways, (laughs) but you can kind of just do that on your own. So I feel like there's a lot of different paths that work and it kind of depends on your financial situation the amount of time you have, like what kinds of like resources you have and commitments that you already like need to really deal with. And I would say the most important thing, regardless of what path you take within that space is like actually like finish stuff, like make a game and like make a whole game, like and finish <laughs> it and release it. And don't just like, <laughs> yeah, well like don't just hide it in your yep. flash drive or whatever. Or, like don't just email it to two friends and like, call it a day like actually ship it mm-hmm. and release it on itch or if you can get on steam or wherever like i think even if you're just posting it on your website and tweeting it i think putting it out there for people to play and like getting that feedback from people who you don't know very well is probably the most important uh step towards becoming like a, a designer and like listening to that feedback and responding to it and learning from it because uh, i think too many students and stuff like sit on ideas for too long and don't actually show them to anyone but you really need to just like work fast make lots of small stuff release it get feedback continue that loop until you feel like you're confident in your voice um i think i think that's the advice i would give so then let me ask you this how many games do you feel like you have that are like 
you that didn't follow that rule were like like your underlings that you didn't really show to the world. You know the the scraps or sketches uh-huh. of game design ideas. How many of those um, you like went through in your life before you were like, okay, I'm taking every one to start to finish, or do you even still you know have some that don't make it? It's pretty rare for me. Like Ooh. at least in the beginning, especially when I was yeah. doing the game jams. Like we were just doing game jams, so we would make a whole thing at the game jam and then oh, release yeah, it. Yeah. Awesome. And like that is like what we always did mm-hmm. obviously as i've gotten older and like actually like work in the industry and stuff mm-hmm. like i guess i have some prototypes i made in school that i only showed but i showed them in classes so i still like showed them to a lot of people um and basically every idea that i've actually started to execute on since i've ended up finishing like i actually don't really have any like prototypes that i'm not actively working on like i tend to just release everything <laughs> yeah even like i don't care about polish or anything either so like i'll just like i'll just like release it i don't know (laughs) i don't think that it's like i think it's better to just like put things out there than like to worry too much about like how people Mm -hmm. like how like people being like oh it's like not polished up like i'll just like put it out there who cares (laughs) you've already got me beat my sketchbooks and my game design (laughs) drives are like the same it's like it's time to move on to a new mechanic or yeah i mean it's fine like if that's part of your creative process that's like super chill Uh, my creative process is like way more public i guess Mm -hmm. that's my choice obviously it's not going to work for everyone but it's worked well for me right so going through this um your indie developer career working over at fulbright uh in comparison or actually just looking at uh, other people mm-hmm. <laughs> like how <laughs> how has it been like where where do you feel that you've uh succeeded and others haven't like in terms of just being able to move along and uh mm-hmm. keep working off of you know their previous successes mm-hmm. um i guess if I had to think of something, the thing people usually bring up, but this isn't like something only I've done at all, mm-hmm. but for people who also like work on like stuff that draws on their personal life where like they're more in their work, like that's something that people comment on for me a lot that they feel is like something I do quote differently. Although there's like mm-hmm. tons of small creators who make personal stuff now. So it's like not really that unique in my opinion, mm-hmm. but uh that's like one thing that i guess people claim differentiates my work uh but other than that i mean i feel like now i look i look around and a lot of my favorite creators like everyone's doing such different stuff like a lot of my favorite work is even done by like students or people who are just like working on their own and that's kind of where i come from more um so i don't know if anything i've done is like that particularly wildly different because personal games are becoming so much more of a thing and like i guess i like make a lot of games about sex which is less common but like that even still is like i'm not the only one so there's some things i do that are a little niche but i'm by no means like the only one Um, so i guess i don't really like have a great answer other than like i do tend to dabble in like more niche topics and stuff than than a lot of other people 
But I, I'll give you credit for that because I mean, in 2018, especially, I feel like we're in the year of the clone. Like, I, yeah. every time I open up Kotaku or Gama Sutra, Polygon, I'm seeing like, yep. Oh, and then here's another of this type of game or, type of game or this type of <laughs> Every game. battle royale. Yeah. And then, you know what games do? Like, gangbusters. It's like, hey, you know what? Bread simulator. Like, yeah. what the fuck? But, well, I have like a lot of freedom because I can release games outside of my day job to like experiment because I like have a way to support myself. I have collaborators like Aaron Friedman, who's like the programmer I work with, who will like work with me on stuff outside of like our regular day stuff. So like I can release things that are, I guess, quote, more risky than a lot of developers can. Like a lot of developers can't release anything outside of work. So I guess that is like one unique thing about my situation is that Fulbright is like totally chill with me, like releasing and selling my own work um, Mm -hmm. outside of the company, which frees me up to like, I think experiment more than some other developers have the ability to. Now, let me ask you a question on the behalf of the companies that don't allow their employees to do that. Yeah. In the event that any one of those games did very, very well, would you quit work the next day? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I like, Fulbright's like an eight-person studio. Like, it, we're like very small, and it's almost like I really care about our work as a studio, and it's less like of a day job and more of like this is like really important to me to like be working on Fulbright stuff and like be working with this team. Uh, especially like, cause I've been with them since I was just a little baby designer. Like Steve <laughs> was like my mentor on Sybil, which was like my first big commercial project. So mm-hmm. even before I was at Fulbright, like there's the Fulbright influence on my work from like being close with Steve and getting so much feedback from him. Mm-hmm. So I feel personally invested in Fulbright's success at this point. Um, so I wouldn't, I would never like bounce like that if right. I just like had a lot of money. Here that people that's the perfect answer <laughs> <laughs> to cover nice. yourself. Actually, I have a second. I have a that's genuine, up. though. I, I really yeah. mean that. I have a follow up. I have a follow up. Second question from behind the desks of the execs who only look at Microsoft Excel spreadsheets. Um, in the events that you were working on your own little side project, do you feel that you, as a professional developer, would ever allow your you know work to slip, or your side project would ever become a distraction for you? Is that a problem? If I was at a bigger company, you're saying? No, no, just you right now at Fulbright. Are you in a position where you're like, oh, man, I really need to, like, bust ass on this project, but I also want to go home and work on my personal project. Have you ever had conflict or just work for yourself that has... Uh, oh, yeah. So when I was working on Tacoma, I shipped Sybil, Bumrush, Lost Memories.net, and Kimmy. So that's four games. Damn. <laughs> uh, so I am not someone that people should look up to for work-life balance because mine's been really bad in the past i actually am like way better about it now but while i was working on tacoma i was working like every day after work every weekend all day and like had no life basically by choice uh like i wasn't this wasn't like a full bright crunch thing this was like a self-imposed like personal project crunch kind of thing uh so i basically only worked and didn't do anything else for like probably like two and a half or three years um wow that was pretty rough <laughs> and right. not healthy and bad which is why i'm not doing it anymore right. but i sure did that so <laughs> i released four games and that is the outcome and it was very bad for me and now i'm like very set on not doing that again and i encourage people not to like commit yourself to too much stuff outside of work i think one thing at a time 
right and like taking off weekends right. at least like a lot like like mm-hmm. more than like i did is really important yeah. otherwise you're so, getting so what what was let's talk about that a bit was it what was the feel like was it just self-motivation self-expression was was it just stuff that you needed to to say or Uh, a bunch of them were commissions so they were like paid projects which obviously money is a big motivator but they were also like commissions for places that i had a lot of respect for and that i wanted to work with and i had ideas that i was excited about so i was like doing it all because i wanted to Mm -hmm. um but I think school teaches you this mentality that like working on a lot of stuff at the same time is like normal. And I didn't know anything else at that point. Cause I just came straight from grad school to Fulbright. Uh, so I just kind of instantly was like doing the school thing while working at Fulbright kind of, where I was right, like, right. well, I have my homework or whatever. Uh, and you know, I, I didn't, like, and it never affected my Fulbright work. Like I was never at the point where like, I couldn't do my work on Tacoma. Like I did everything, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't like, I think I have the kind of personality where I can pull that off. I don't think everyone can. <laughs> uh, and it's definitely not good, but I think I like kind of learned a lot of that in school, which was not good. And I feel like they should probably unteach that <laughs> by the time people graduate or at least warn them. Because uh, it can lead to pretty unhealthy work habits, I think. Well, the main reason why I was asking is because, you know, there's a lot of employers out there who are just afraid to even allow their employees mm-hmm. to do any sort of external yeah. moonlighting or creative expression and yeah. give them a chance to just have like a secondary outlet other than their job. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, aren't you already making a game employee number yeah. 708? I mean, Rosa? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think people should absolutely have the right to do that. Like, okay. especially if these places care about like the medium of game making, like the more people making games, like, and given that a lot of these companies employ some of the most brilliant people, like you would want them to be making cool stuff. Cause like that's going to inspire them at work and inspire later games that those studios probably work on. So I think it's a good thing. It's more like if you do, like if people are going to do that, like they should be encouraged to have like a healthy work-life balance and like, like your job should be like encouraging you to do that actively in my opinion, Um, which actually at Fulbright, they're very good. And we like talk about this stuff a lot. Uh, I just was a bad listener at first. (laughs) I was warned (laughs) that this would be unhealthy Uh, and I didn't listen until it was too late. So I think it should be allowed, but employers should be like active participants in like making sure people are actually like not hurting themselves. But they enabled you to try. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. No, the only reason why I say this, and I'm going to acknowledge that the questions are somewhat loaded, right? Um, There's a lot of people out there that work in jobs who just are not comfortable, you know, with uh, any sort of external moonlighting. And I think that that shouldn't be such a practice. And you've already hit all the major points. Mm -hmm. And so I asked those questions kind of on their behalf, even knowing full well that your answer was going to be, you know, like that. I wanted to hear it come from Mm -hmm. you. Yeah, totally. I'm always happy to talk about that topic. I think it's getting into like the actual like practical details of it isn't done enough. Like, yeah. When I start my game company, I want to allow all the employees to work on whatever they want as long as they cut me in on the credits. (laughs) (laughs) Not that part, but the rest of it's good. (laughs) 
So let's talk about getting yourself ready to apply to the Fulbright company. You're inspired by the work and, you know, where did you just like, you know what, F it, these guys need my help. Like take us to that day when you prepared yourself to go into those doors and be part of that team. Yeah. Um, so Steve and I had met at a GDC, uh, years ago when I was showing this game, how do you do it? And another game lady, like at a party, Mm -hmm. um, it was an unwinnable party. Mm. Uh, and I had a friend get Steve to come over to play my game because I was like, I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he came over and played it and was into it. And we got like into a big conversation about it uh, and kind of stayed in touch after that point for a while. And like, and I started working on Sybil for my master's thesis and mm-hmm. I like reached out to him for feedback. So we like kept talking about that and got into more conversations about like game design specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave some like really important feedback on Sybil and stuff. So that was awesome. And then, uh, yeah, basically like we just kept talking and he was kind of like, he asked if I was interested in working with them. Uh, and I was like, uh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to. Um, so in my situation, it was not really like an applying for a job kind of thing. It was more like there was a relationship that we had as designers and our outlooks on level design and narrative and game design lined up pretty well. So we like talked about it and Steve kind of like Steve and Carla flew me out to Portland so I could come check things out. And one thing led to another and I ended up uh, taking a job as a level designer Um and even at first, like, my job wasn't technically level designer. It was a little more vague because work on Tacoma was only, it was, like, super early that they were, like, we don't even know exactly what you're going to do, but we'll figure it out, like, as we go along. Um, and that kind of transformed into me becoming one of the level designers once I got there. Um, but, yeah, so sort of an unconventional entrance into a first industry job, but that's kind of how it all fell, fell into place. That's nice. awesome. Yeah. What were the expectations going to the job and what did you realize after yeah. four years at Tacoma? Yeah. Uh, it was a bit like my ability to even have expectations was kind of compromised by the fact that I defended my master's thesis a week before I moved <laughs> to work there. So I didn't have much time to think about it, but I think I was just like... I had this mentality where I was like, I'm going to go learn as much as humanly possible as fast as I can so that I can contribute on the level of everyone else. Cause I was pretty like much more green than everyone else on the team. Uh, like the other level designer Tynan worked on Bioshock 2 with Steven Carla and like lots of other games before that. Um, and like basically most of the rest of the team were pretty experienced game developers at that point. Um, there's a couple of us who are newer, but not anyone in my specific discipline. Um, so I was kind of like, I need to learn fast because I want to like help as much as possible. Uh, and worked out really well because when I started, they were so early that we were like experimenting a lot. So mm. Tynan had a lot of time to kind of like sit with me and like talk with me about like more technical stuff that I was doing with Unity, which I hadn't really used before. Um, And I did early paper maps that we had a lot of time to iterate on, and I got tons of feedback. So we had sort of a, I wouldn't say, it's not slow isn't the right word, but like a steady start that left enough room for me to like kind of figure out things as I worked. Um, So it actually worked out, the timing of everything worked out pretty well, even though I was like, I kind of threw myself into it, like without much preparation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the only way to do it you don't get stuff done you know yeah. you just wait 
Yeah, exactly. Jump in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what was your favorite memory working on your first project there at Fulbright? Mm-hmm. If you can say, you know, I don't want to get you like in any sort of NDA stuff. But oh, no, 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 no. Um, I guess the best thing I remember, I got to like, we had a lot of challenges figuring out how we wanted to do gating in the game. So like mm-hmm. locks and keys and stuff mm-hmm. and like progression gating, uh, we tried all sorts of different things and like at first we're like heavily relying on these key codes that were found in people's uh, desktop computers in the game. Mm-hmm. And we found during play tests that players were like focusing way too much on finding the key codes and we're like ignoring a lot of other important stuff that they would like walk by or like, you know, rifle through in order to look for these things. Mm-hmm. So we were all like brainstorming about better, more unique ways to do that. Um, Cause we were running into that issue with the more traditional mechanics. Mm-hmm. And I pitched as a part of this, the concept for the sync device, which is what we did end up shipping, which is like the concept that Amy has her little iPad thing that she's carrying around the ship and she's syncing up the data on each wing so that she can successfully retrieve the AI once you get to the engineering uh, area where he's kept. Um, So I like my pitch was basically like, what if Amy had like a USB stick and she can't like, she has to like stay locked down in a wing while it's syncing with the wings data because it's like a really heavy process that she has to do. And like, downloads take forever and we want to like have something that the player doesn't have to worry about too much and since basically anyone playing this game is going to know about like downloading stuff on the internet like that's something that anyone playing this on steam would know about it's something that kind of teaches itself that we don't have to tutorialize very much um so that and i said a bunch of other stuff about progression systems around the sync device and that pitch ended up being what we went with and that was like probably the most like important thing i contributed to the game other like outside of my like level designer duties Mm -hmm. um and that was really fun and probably something that could only happen at such a small studio uh coming from like me not being like a lead like a lead level designer or anything like i actually got to pitch like a big game design thing and and uh steven carlo were like hell yeah so <laughs> that was a good a good memory for me that's awesome they from the start you were like just able to just sit down and like talk shop with all the other designers on the team and you know be taken seriously and add impact to the project right away yeah yeah we're pretty like we just like hang out and talk a lot and Especially like, yeah, when we're all like in, some of us are remote, but all the designers are in the office together. So we just kind of like, we'll hang out and like talk things out pretty frequently. And, (laughs) and in the end, it's all Steve and Carla's decisions for what like actually gets implemented, but we all have like a lot of input into that process. So yeah, it's really nice. Just so you know, my questions have been throwing shade at places that don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> As I'm just like, we do it so well, yay! But like, legitimately, I think I think we do like kind of do things in like a pretty positive that's really way. Good. Yeah, so. that's good. <laughs> It's really good because I think we're both well. At least Larry and I are used to his ideas being in the file cabinet that is called the recycle bin. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, but it, it's nice. Well, that, that's what we I think all are attracted to the indie development. It's just you know you're in a room with all your friends, and essentially you're just talking and and figuring things out and finding the best solution uh, and it's just pure game design yeah. so uh well nina 
I too am a game designer and uh, I've designed a little game that I love playing with the guests on this show. It's called the fast five. Would you like to play the fast five today? Hell yeah. Oh, awesome. I love the enthusiasm. <laughs> so that wasn't one of the questions though, but uh, <laughs> how this game works is I'm going to ask you five rapid fire questions and I need five rapid fire answers. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. 25 cents has been put into the machine. Blah, 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 blah. Question number one, what is your favorite narrative game that you've beat? I beat uh favorite narrative narrative game that I've beaten would probably be Final Fantasy X-2. It's like also probably my favorite game ever. And I'd say it's narrative focused, yeah. Question number two. Name a game developer you'd like to work with in your career. Uh Harvey Smith. Hmm. Question number three. Favorite snack food. Favorite snack food? Oh God, I love snacks. Um, <laughs> Cheez-Its, but like the those Cheez-Its with like ridges, they're more like chips. Okay. I'm obsessed with those. <laughs> All right, we'll send you some after this. <laughs> Question number four, do you ever suffer from writer's block? Yeah, totally. Especially like, I can't like write when I'm tired. And like, I have a lot of trouble writing like in the morning. I have to like write at night. It's so stupid. So yeah, like sometimes the conditions give me writer's block. So I, I tend to get it pretty frequently. All right. And the last question, question number five, what was the most impactful moment in a video game that you've ever experienced? Ooh, that's, that's a really hard one. Cause I'm like, there's so many good games. I think Maybe the most impactful one that comes to mind first, because I feel like there's a lot. But for me, especially like as a game designer, a pretty pivotal moment for me was playing Dysphoria for the first time by Ananthropy. And the ending of that game with like, I believe it's like sort of the sun rising moment at the very end was like mind blowing to me. I thought it was like such a beautiful moment. Um, so, yeah, I'd say the ending to Dysphoria was definitely like one of the most impactful games moments for me i think you just sold like 10 or 15 more copies <laughs> <laughs> it's a really yeah. good game <laughs> that's actually a pretty good time so i have a reward for you it's a trophy but the trophy is actually interactive basically <laughs> you get to ask the guest for next week's episode one question about game development or something game development or video game related yeah what do you got okay let's see um my question would be what oh let me think oh yeah i kind of want to use the same one i said last time you can edit out me saying this because i just want to reuse it because i remembered it and i thought it was really good uh my question would be what like game or novel like what non-games ip would you like to make a game about comic book or movie or like tv show series or whatever okay guys why don't we take a break and hear from our sponsors wow dude brandon that's uh you know really coming along there what you got hey larry i know this looks like a lot of work but quicksil just makes it so much easier for anybody that wants to dive right in and create great looking scenes using mega scans well, okay, look, I know we've advertised this in the podcast before, but I've actually just been a little intimidated by everything that I've seen. I'm not much of an artist, but I will say that, like, surprisingly, going back to those first couple times where I used it, it was intuitive for me. And being able to download those high quality assets and putting them straight into Unreal 
help me skip a step. I didn't have to ask for your help. I could just do it myself, which is, uh, I got to give them props because I'm not much of an artist, but I was still able to use the tool set. It was great. So yes, you yourself can use Megascans right now. Go to checkout, use our special code GDU and get the first three months, 30% off. That will include apps like the Quixel Mixer and the Quixel Bridge to complete your overall working process. And it's great that they offer a discount code, especially if you're just interested in getting started or if you want to take three months to download everything you possibly can. You know, just take advantage. It's a great tool. And if you guys want to support us directly, go to our patreon.com forward slash game dev unchained. If you also want to continue the conversation go to our discord which can be found on our main webpage www.gamedevunchained.com and speaking of new awesome things we're running a new awesome thing here through game dev unchained is we're going to be starting our mailing list and joining our mailing list will give you the direct access to all the news and latest information as it comes to us the fastest way for us to get you the news is actually to do it through email or online forums. Instead of waiting till Tuesday's podcast, you can get any sort of news or juicy information for free for fast. And Brandon, why don't you tell them some additional details as to why they may want to be part of the mailing list. The GDU newsletter is something exclusive that we've been sending out to our previous guests, compiling all the connections, resources that we've made on the podcast, like 80.lv, Quixel, inside information on how to get finance, tips, tricks. So this is extra stuff that we are finally opening up to all listeners and anyone that is interested We are doing this once a month, so we're not going to spam anyone, but you're going to have a fill of information at your fingertips. So to join our mailing list, just find us on our, just find it on our main website, www.gamedevunchain.com and click on the link, join the mailing list. And longtime devs who listen to the podcast, you still may want to join the mailing list as well. No, not for the spam, but for the contests and giveaways that we've been running through Game Dev Unchained. Find out how to enter, find out how to win, you know, your own copy of God of War, whatever other games or giveaways that we have, especially ones that come specifically from our guests, like signed artwork, wallpaper backgrounds, whatever it is they want us to distribute, you will find out first through the mailing list. And so we definitely know that this is going to be a valuable resource for anybody who likes free stuff. All right, let's get back to Nina. My next question is, being an independent um, developer, um, being in charge of pretty much your own type of promotion, what are the key things that you feel is important that would reach the right people? Mm. Um, usually when I'm working on stuff, since... Like a lot of my personal work I'm able to do like in my free time without having to like rely on it for income or anything. I'm usually just kind of making things for myself with my friends or doing like commission style stuff, which is really nice. Um, And like with the commission style stuff, it's like often like, you know, it's like an organization or festival or something paying me to make something that like they're usually coming into it. Like we want you to do something in your style that you like, blah, blah, blah. So like my focus is usually more on that than like thinking about a target audience or like thinking about how this is going to like sell well and what Mm -hmm. I have to do to make that happen, which is like a pretty privileged position for like my personal stuff that I've managed to maintain 
Um, and then obviously I have like my day job at Fulbright and I'm, I'm a level designer there. So I'm not having to like sort of worry about mm-hmm. that high level stuff. I just kind of do the more, you know, designery technical, whatever stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be honest, like, I don't even really think about like, is this going to sell? What, what about this is going to like appeal to the masses or whatever? Like, I just think about games that me and my friends would want to play and would enjoy. And obviously like play test a lot to see if it's like, you know, mm-hmm. getting across to people. Right. Um, and sometimes, sometimes that lands and becomes something that a lot of people like. Sometimes it doesn't. I try not to worry about it too much and try to just make stuff that I think is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these commissions, are you doing it, like you said, through friends or are you mm-hmm. meeting at uh, certain conventions that make mm-hmm. these connections happen? Like how often uh, yeah. does it go through either which channel? I've done actually like a bunch of commissions at this point, which is like, I don't think it's like super common in games, but mm-hmm. I've been lucky enough to do a bunch. I did a game that StarMade Games did last, uh, like, I think it was like last year or the year before or whatever it was Kimmy. And that was a humble bundle right. commission. So they like reached out to me about that initially um, and commissioned that game. And they do that with like a bunch of developers. It's like a whole series of commissions that they did. Uh, and I did a commission called lostmemories.net for Manchester International Festival, which is like a big arts festival in the UK. Um, and they they also like came to me. So a lot of this stuff is people finding me through like my previous work mm-hmm. and reaching out because, you know, the kind of stuff that my friends and I are doing, uh, my collaborators and I are doing or like fit into what their goals are with whatever they're like with humble bundle it's that series of stuff manchester international festival it was like the they were like oh we want like you know your kind of like personal work to be shown at our festival so like usually i'm not seeking those out specifically but they've like kind of come to me in various forms over time Mm -hmm. um, which is very very nice (laughs) So there's like a bunch of events also um, th- throughout the whole year. Like, what what are the ones that actually stick out? If you're an indie developer or you're used to working in, in smaller teams, like, what would be the ones that I should attend if I were yeah. to wanted to be successful in this field? Gosh, I don't even like. It's so funny because, like, I don't know if this is the case for you, but I feel like when you like are first getting started in games, like. Mm-hmm. When you were early on, like, did you go to a lot of like events like that? Like, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> I think like, I went to the major ones, E3 and yeah. maybe GDC. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, all that I knew sense. about. Yeah. So I guess it was weird for me because, like, when I was starting out, I was in New York City, and like there was lots of like local stuff going on, like baby castles and things like that that were like would do like smaller shows locally or do jams and stuff. Mm-hmm. And doing that small stuff initially, I feel like kind of set me off on a good path and was how like I could go to GDC and actually know people, which like enabled me to like, you know, meet more people like friends of friends and stuff. Cause I had like met lots of people just going to local things right. in New York city. And I know that you can't really do that in every city. So like, I don't know how it goes for other people, but like, I'm always like the local stuff is a really good place to start, especially if you can meet people that then you can like go to GDC with. Mm-hmm. and like sort of have there for you because gdc is like overwhelming right it's like right, right, really right. big everybody's there yeah yeah so it can be like it's easy to get lost when you go and like just not know how to meet anyone who mm-hmm. like you have stuff in common with 
So I feel like a good starting point is like building a network more locally that you can then go with to the bigger stuff and have sort of a starting point for that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Cause I think ultimately like some of the biggest connections I've made have been like at GDC and stuff like that's how I got my job at Fulbright was like meeting my bosses at GDC years uh-huh. ago at a party. Um, but I couldn't have gotten to that party or known about it if I hadn't like had other people that I had met more locally that knew about it and told me, you know, so. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that stuff, I think building up from where you're coming from can really help. Yeah. Definitely taking smaller steps. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what's, what's the game development scene like in New York? I, I really have no mm. uh, grasp about that because when we talk about game development scene uh san francisco los angeles uh, portland (laughs) and seattle texas austin but new york i never really hear too much about it yeah How, how how is it over there well, I haven't lived there now for like almost five years or something, so it's right. probably really different. But when I was there, I was like sort of involved with it around when like specifically because I, I went to NYU for grad school. So I was like really mm-hmm. involved in like the NYU Game Center stuff, even though I didn't actually go there. I went to like a sister program of it called Integrated mm-hmm. Digital Media. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was really involved with the Game Center and like when they're first starting out, there was just like, you know, the whole like group of like the first class of designers that went there, like we all hung out together and like would party together and like do the baby castle stuff together. So there was like a pretty good like academia scene almost there when I was still around and like NYU hosted lots of events, like the first global game jam I attended was there. And like, Mm -hmm. it was less like like in portland there's a lot of cool like workshops and stuff going on that like pick squad hosts and like Mm -hmm. there's definitely stuff like that in new york but i feel like at least for me when i was there it was a lot more like parties and like social stuff Mm -hmm. and they have that here too but it like it has it had like a different vibe Mm -hmm. and i think it was it's just like different when I don't, I don't know how to describe it, actually, like, because for me, it was so much around like a- that academic space, because there's so right. many really good schools in New York that have good games programs um, or just like arts programs that people who want to make games are in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of that going on there, uh, which which was nice. And like I had like a really good there was just like a really good sort of local scene there when I was around and. I feel like it's probably still good. I would be surprised if it had changed that much. So you would say that there's uh, just this, like a more indie type of vibe in New York? Uh, I'm like, I'm like trying to compare it to Portland, but it's like, they're so they're like similar in a lot of ways. So there's not much to compare. Like, right. cause like Portland has pick squad, which kind of reminds me of baby castles in New York. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just like, I feel like, probably most big cities you go to have some kind of like small group like that, where it's just Mm. like some local developers, like probably indie developers trying to sort of like run events to like band together the local scene to like do jams and just like have a community of friends together. Um, So for me, it felt like really like a social thing in New York, even though like I also did like tons of jams at like with these people and whatever. Um, and actually the one big benefit i i found in new york was like i met tons of comics artists and illustrators in new york 
um, that I ended up working with later that weren't necessarily like they didn't work in games or anything, but we had like overlapping circles at Mm -hmm. these events and stuff and they'd come sometimes too. Uh, so I met a lot of the like artists that I work at, like visual artists that I work with now, even back in New York, um, just cause New York has like a, apparently a good community for that sort of thing too. So, so what would, how would one go about finding these groups? It would mm. be through, through Facebook or <laughs> Craigslist. Like, how exactly? Um, yeah. I'm like, how did I find it? I guess yeah. I was, when I lived in New York, like, you know, like chiptune music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was really into chiptune music, so I would go to all the shows in New York that were like chiptune shows. Mm-hmm. And there was like a pretty good, like, there was like the series Pulse Wave that I used to go to every month and whatever. There was like regular chiptune stuff that I would go to and like made friends at. And it was sort of through going to that, because obviously like chiptune has sort of a video game association. So there was like game developers there. Right. <laughs> and right, that's right. kind of how I met like uh, the first other like game developer friends that I had before I was making games at all. And so it was for me, I just kind of found out about this stuff by like going to that and like meeting people who knew more than me and like introduced me to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't like the chiptune stuff wasn't even like game developer focused necessarily. It was just like a space that, you know, other game developers were at and I just kind of like became friends with them. So, I mean, that's one way to do it, but I guess for other people, like, I mean, a lot of like stuff I know, like in Portland, like Pig Squad, they they like promote their stuff pretty openly and like have a really big community. So I'm sure it's not very hard to find if you're just like looking for local indie games events. But right, right. even going to things that are like parallel to games and just like seeing if pe- if there's people there that are also into it, like that worked pretty well for me. Um, so. Yeah, but I don't have, like, I don't know. Like, I never really, like, went out of my way to look for it initially. It just kind of happened to me. <laughs> right, right, right. So uh, you've been over at Fulbright for a few years now. You've yeah. been living in Portland for how long now? I know. I keep being, like, I should know. It's got to be almost five <laughs> years now. Five years now, right? Something like that. <laughs> so before Steve uh, set at camp over there... Mm. I didn't really know too much about Portland being like a game development mm-hmm. area. Yeah. And I feel like ever since he's been over there with Fulbright, uh, more and more game companies are cropping up. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that true or no? Is it still? Well, growing? I think so. Yeah. So there's us. And yeah, it was like Steve and Carla and the folks who worked on Gone Home together, you know, like they all came over together and like worked on Gone Home in a house, blah, blah, blah. And then later Fulbright happened. So that that was sort of them. And so they, they didn't need, they were like just doing their own indie thing here at first. And then the studio stuff happened later. Um, And like Steve's wife is from here and like Steve and a bunch of people at the studio, like have either lived in Portland before or had lived here for a time, whatever. So he had a pretty strong connection here. Carla, the co-founder, I think, I feel like she had less of a strong connection, but like had come here to work on Gone Home with them. Uh, And so I know for Fulbright, it was like a lot of like, just like personally wanting to be in Portland, just like, you know, go live in the city you want to work in if you can, Mm -hmm. like they made it work, which Mm -hmm. is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd say... So they didn't like come here for a game scene necessarily, but there definitely is one. 
I've yeah. mentioned the pig squad a couple times because they're like probably the main like group group here that does stuff. But there's like definitely plenty of like local like indie developers like doing their own thing. And I think it's especially kind of nice to do in Portland because it's pretty cheap to live here, at least like compared for me, like someone coming from New York, it seems like ridiculously cheap. <laughs> um, other people might think it's expensive, but like compared to the bigger like New York, San Francisco, right. Seattle, whatever, like it's pretty affordable if you're just trying to do something small. Um, so I feel like you see, and just like in the arts in general, like, I think that's why a lot of artists are attracted to Portland. Um, and to be honest, like ever since I, like when I was working on Tacoma and stuff, I was working on all these commissions too and whatever. So I haven't really been that involved in the local scene just cause I've been so busy, like working all the time, uh, for better or worse. So like, I can't speak to it too much outside of pig squad being really cool and having met lots of nice people through them. Um, but yeah, I guess that's another thing. Like, I feel like as you get farther into your career, it can be harder to like participate in local scenes like that as actively. Cause like you make games all day. Sometimes you just want right. to go home and chill out. <laughs> and that's right. kind of been where I'm at recently. Um, but that said, there is definitely a scene here. And I think as far as like the city itself goes, it's like pretty good for, independent artists like as a place to live right we kind of mentioned or talked about this before how you were in a period of just work 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 yeah so i never really or or generally people don't really think about it um when they become an independent developer they feel like oh okay i have no boss i'm my own boss i have more free time but Usually you're harder on yourself when you're working for yourself. So how was that transition when you, well, how did you figure out, like, I need some balance and how, how did you balance it out Mm. to make it comfortable? Because I mean, I I feel like that's a hard habit to kick. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't really think I've figured it out because like, I basically like accepted a bunch of commissions and stuff while I was working on Tacoma. And like, even I was, I sh- we shipped Sybil, like when I went, was working on Tacoma. So like, right. I've really, I've been like, I mean, the teams of collaborators have varied, um, but like myself and my various collaborators have sh- shipped like three or four games or whatever while I was working on mm-hmm. Tacoma. So that was like crazy. So the time management stuff was pretty simple because for me, because it was like, I only have after work in the weekends to work mm-hmm. and that's like not actually that much time. So I would just like use all of it, um, which was pretty bad and unhealthy. And like, I had like no social life for a long time because of it. Uh, and then really only very recently, like when Tacoma finally like came out, was I like, I sat back and was like, why do I feel so awful? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I was like, I'm not going to work on anything new for like a while, at least until like we start really doing something new with Fulbright, which like I'm doing some like contracting level design on this game, uh, Underworld Ascendant with Other Side Studio, um, Other Side Entertainment. Mm -hmm. so i have been like working on stuff that's like for day like that's for fulbright so that's like day job stuff so i'm like it's fine i still need to like make money so i can work on that stuff but as far as like side projects go i just like haven't started a new one since tacoma came out just to like recover (laughs) from shipping that many games and shipping tacoma um 
so for me it's just been like force on learning that behavior because i think i learned a lot of it in like grad school where you're like mm-hmm. always working on something gotta do your master's thesis whatever like the schedule was really tight and you're basically like always like having to work on something for school mm-hmm. and then they let you go and like don't really tell you that you can relax now <laughs> so I'm only now, like, four years later, like, realizing that I should take a break for the first time, like, Mm -hmm. in a very, very long time. Right. Um, And a lot of that has just been, yeah, not, like, refusing to, like, work on anything on the side until I feel recovered. And then even if I do start working on something, like, it'll be with all of that, like, with that lesson in mind, like probably don't work every single weekend and every day after work kind of right, thing. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say I've figured it out, but I'm just like not letting myself work on anything until I feel like I'm prepared to like actually do that in a healthier way. All right. Well, it definitely helps like for that period to kind of build up your craft and get better and better mm. at a faster rate. So yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's good to like work on lots of projects and like, do things at a fast pace but like I was able to do that back then like in grad school and stuff it like wasn't Mm -hmm. really tiresome like I felt super in it but then I think after many years of that you get kind of tired (laughs) and like we'll just like burn out naturally so like I think it's important to like listen to yourself and if like you can be in that space and it feels Mm -hmm. healthy then that's fine but if it's like destroying parts of like your social life or whatever, and like you're really right. tired all the time, like you should probably stop. <laughs> yes, there's so many factors that uh, makes you realize <laughs> that you can't keep that going, like yeah. burning the midnight oil. Like I, I realized that myself. I used to be able to stay up all night, do all these different things, but now, and it's not even about tiredness or passion. It's more. There's just real life stuff that happens as you age. Yeah, yeah. That you value definitely. more. And it's like, hey, maybe there's other things that I would rather do with this time. Yeah. And you don't want to like, I feel like it's so easy to like lose. Cause like when you're a game developer, you're like working at your computer a lot if you're doing digital stuff. So like you're not necessarily going out. And it's like people, like you want to like have connections with people in your life, like especially as a game developer. Like, and for me as someone who works on narrative stuff, like, if I'm not having social interactions, like where am I ever going to like find right. inspiration? Exactly. <laughs> you know? So even like, if you have to think about it that way, like that's another reason to just like be really Experience. careful. Um, exactly. One of the less important reasons, but definitely something that like motivates me to take it easier on myself. Yeah. And, and that totally makes sense. Musicians, uh, comics, stand up, you know? Yeah. You can't might write or make new materials if you're just experiencing yeah. the same old thing over. And over. <laughs> it's like that new guy on Terrace House who was like, "I came to Terrace House yes. for inspiration to see what yes. it's like here." For oh, my music. there's just so much. I was like relatable. So much, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so much life lessons through that show. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I want to switch it up a bit. So I want to ask you more about. Um, this is a question we ask a lot to designers because it they feel it's like. A, a, a sort of a shift going on not not sure but you know this is totally relative to you and and working over at uh, fulbright narrative games and streaming mm. is like the hottest topic every time that comes up you know developers are 
are on the wall, whether it is uh, helpful or not. Some some don't think it matters. What are your stances on um, people streaming narrative mm. games? Is it helpful, especially as an independent developer? Yeah, uh, I so I like I love streaming and like I stream. I'm like a Twitch partner and stuff. And like I also watch a lot of streamers. Um, so I'm totally like enthusiastic about it and have been for a while. Like even back when we're working on Sybil and releasing Sybil, like I was already like pretty into it and like trusted that it was a really good, if not like better than normal source of like getting the game in front of a lot of people who wouldn't normally find it. Um, so I was really enthusiastic about sending Sybil out to lots of streamers. And I have this one friend, Adam Coble, who's like a pretty well-known streamer that I got in, like I had met kind of shortly before Sybil came out and like, he was gracious enough to stream Sybil when it came out. And I remember like seeing the amount of people that like engaged with it on his stream was like really encouraging. And like, he was really good at streaming narrative games like that, like, you know, single player linear ish, like kind of things and like took it really seriously. And his chat was like awesome about it. So like I had a couple like really encouraging experiences at first, but made me just want to keep like trying to send it to streamers. I think that did like make a pretty big difference. Um, Like as far as like getting the game in front of people and having like a wider audience than just indie game developers, like able to find it. Um, Cause even though like, like, you know, Sybil won like an IGF award and whatever, like that, that's still like, it's got more visibility, but I feel like the community is still like not, like you're not going to really get the Twitch community uh, eyes on the IGF necessarily, maybe mm-hmm. some, but like there's a wider audience out there that I think is much more easily reached. If you just like reach out to a lot of streamers, especially if you just like find streamers that you actually like enjoy, whose personalities mm-hmm. you like that like similar work to you. And just like, even if they're like pretty small, just like send them your game. Like I've found that doing that a lot has made a pretty big difference in people engaging with my work. And I can tell because I stream and a lot of those people will come see my stream and like talk to me. And so it's like, I know firsthand that like people are finding me through like Twitch and stuff. Um, So I, I feel like it's like really good, especially if you put in the effort to like find the streamers who you actually like, who have the attitudes that, that you want to engage with. Cause like, there's just, Twitch is freaking huge. Like there's a lot, so it can be a little overwhelming to get through, but I think it's like totally worth the effort, especially for like narrative games developers, just cause like it is a smaller community, but the community is there and they're like really awesome. I think. And I love streaming. I like stream every week. And like, I don't, I stream some narrative games. I mostly stream Overwatch, but like, I really like streaming narrative games too. Cause like, I have an audience that enjoys that and like really appreciates it and will engage with those streams. And that's really encouraging too, um, mm. as a developer and as like a streamer. So, right. Yeah, I like, and it. as a, de- as a developer, like, it feels like every two years the landscape changes. It used to be, uh, having your game blasted on publications like uh, blogs mm. help boost sales, but now you know the landscape has more been about streamers. Do you feel like? I mean, it's yeah. uh, if you were to sell a product, would streaming be the best 
resource for you to, to yeah just, uh, i guess navigate. i'm still i'm still the type that'll just like send the games i work on out to everyone like press right. streamers like whatever just like send it out <laughs> get it in front of right. as many people as possible but i do think streamers and youtubers and stuff are have the most reach lately right um i mean it's like simple as just like looking at the number of followers they have or whatever like Uh these people are like seriously very famous (laughs) so it's like you can get them excited about your game and it's like like i said like earlier when i was like find the smaller streamers who you actually like whose personalities you like i actually think that's that can be even more important because the very famous people like have so much stuff coming at them all the time that like they probably won't pay attention if you send them your game because mm-hmm. they're just overwhelmed with other stuff. And they will often like draw on smaller streams, like look at what they're doing to see what they want to play next. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's way easier and less stressful to just like, yeah, focus, like still send it, send your games to like the popular streamers, but like don't forget about the smaller ones. Cause like a lot of the snowball effect can really start there. Like with a lot of people mm-hmm. like wanting to see, you know, others playing your stuff. Like if you can get a critical mass of smaller streamers to be like really into it, then that can be a huge benefit, I think. Right. And so I'm just going to assume that you're from this perspective of don't worry about how, streaming affects your sales mm. or does it i mean there's no data out there saying that it does but that's the number one argument yeah. that a lot of developers go with when when talking about this issue yeah if it, yeah. it even it, it is an issue or not and i feel like it can only be beneficial to have more eyes on your game like mm-hmm. i don't i don't think there's and like if if there are people who like only want to watch the games and not play them like they're not going to buy your game anyways probably right so like i i wouldn't personally worry about it i'd like be like the benefit is word of mouth and like Mm -hmm. people who see it on a stream maybe don't buy it because they watched all of it like telling their friends how cool it was and then you lost one sale but you made five others because all their friends are talking about it now so it's like Mm -hmm. i don't know i think and yeah this like not i guess it's not any real like data to back it up or whatever but like my gut instinct is that it's a good thing and based on like the experience with sybil like it's definitely has like more of a positive effect than a negative one right well hopefully facebook one day will release that data so (laughs) we can (laughs) so we can understand how this works so nina yes (laughs) the next few years I, I feel like it's very hard to anticipate how the game industry is changing because uh-huh. it, it really does feel like every few years there's a whole new thing. The streaming is relatively pretty new. I mean, it wasn't so long ago where Amazon bought Twitch. Yeah, that's true. And Twitch, I mean, Twitch was on its rise up, obviously, and that's when Amazon bought it. Yeah. And it exploded over the last couple of years. With- totally. What is the next big thing? Mm. For, especially to our independent developer yeah um i mean it's always hard to say but i'm just like i'm excited like recently i played this game that some of my friends made uh called all our asias and it has it's this game uh, uh sean hogan worked on it it was like i think primarily like it was very like personal game for him about like Asian American identity and, Mm -hmm. and like a story that's exploring that. 
and it was really good. And one of the things I found striking about it was it had this like amazing like PS1 era graphic style that I thought was really like beautiful. And I love that like art style. And you know, there was like it's like we've had tons of like pixel art games and stuff, and now I feel like I'm seeing more like actual small indie games using that like more PS1 era art style with like actual like 3D art assets. Uh, so my hope is that we see more indie games like that because I really like love that visual style and seeing it in All Our Ages was like really exciting to me. And I'm like, I want to use that style too because I, I feel like I have way more nostalgia for that art style than I did for like any pixel art stuff because I didn't really grow up on like Game Boy games or Super Nintendo or whatever. Like I grew up on like mm-hmm. PS One and and sixty four and and all that stuff. So I'm excited to just see what the indie games of like a newer generation look like. Like what kind of nostalgia mm-hmm. they're drawing on? Because like mm-hmm. like in the end, like a lot of like indie game stuff do draw a lot of nostalgia, just because like right. it's a lot of like young developers who are like who've been excited about games since they were young like trying to kind of like recreate the magic that brought them into it. Uh, so I'm psyched to see what kind of change in style that brings. Yeah, bring back the uh, Final Fantasy club hands. Yeah. Fantasy <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I want like Final Fantasy. Like I always really love those like weird fixed camera angles they would use in Final Fantasy games, like in 10 and stuff and, and earlier, obviously like that's such a weird they, like you don't see that really as often in like modern games, and so that like almost it has like a, a special nostalgia to it for me too. So, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of stuff there that you might see reused in the coming years. Guys, okay, so we have been podcasting for an hour. I know, total shocker. <laughs> uh, it's almost like deja vu. But <laughs> at this time, Nina, Brandon and I are going to go refill our coffee mugs, and we're going to give you total access to the microphones to talk directly to our audience to promote nice. to. Sh- or raise awareness for something that you're involved in, something that you love, or just think that needs a little more attention from people out there in game dev land. So without further ado, the floor is yours. I'm hijacking the podcast. (laughs) Uh, So to find me, I have a website called Nina says dot. So that has like links to like all my stuff and like links to my games. If you want to like, Stuff I've worked on is just like, you know, you can find it all there. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm Hentai PhD, H E N T A I PhD. Uh, and for Tacoma, which is a game I worked on with Fulbright, uh, you can grab that. It came out on PS4 really recently, actually. And we released Commentary Mode, which is new. And I was actually like pretty much, I like managed all of Commentary Mode and like recorded all the commentary. So I'm very proud of it. And people should check that out. You can find Tacoma it's at tacoma.game or on Twitter it's at Tacoma game um so you can find it in those ways uh and as far as like shouting out stuff I'm just like thinking about like what I want to watch later now and I think there's like a new season of My Hero Academia and I need to really start watching it because that show's amazing it's an anime and that's what I'm gonna watch later so that's the one non-me related thing that I'll (laughs) shout out um but yeah otherwise thanks for having me on the podcast i will stop hijacking it now <laughs> all right i'm back coffee mug full nina thank Yay. you so much for being <laughs> with us uh shoot usually i say something clever and rhymey but i guess not so much this timey larry charles <laughs> <laughs> 
This is Brandon Fan. I'll see you guys next week. Could have swore there was three of us. Are we? Are are we? Uh, are we good? It got very quiet. I was like, are we still recording? <laughs> usually, usually this is when you say bye. Oh, I should say bye. Anyways, yes, thank you for having me on. I hope everyone enjoys listening to this, and I had a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.